When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a close look at the events that are going to be moving markets and making headlines in the election campaign and indeed beyond. I'm Robert Miller. I'm joined on the line from Brussels by Bruno Waterfield, our correspondent at the heart of the European Union, and on the line from Westminster by Sam Coates, Deputy Political Editor of The Times. Welcome to you both and thanks for being here. Uh, Just to get us in the mood and set the scene, here's the latest clip from what the EU chief negotiator for Brexit, Michel Barnier, had to say just as Theresa May launched the official start of the general election campaign. Once again, there is no punishment. There is no Brexit bill. The financial settlement is only about settling the accounts. Well, Sam, uh, you first, Michel Barnier, clarifying uh, what seems to be the controversial subject of the moment, uh, Britain being made to pay through the nose for leaving the European Union. No exit penalty, just a settling of the accounts. Does that sort it? Uh, I think uh, the idea that this clarifies everything to do with the Brexit bill or indeed any other aspect of the Brexit negotiations that are going to dominate uh, our lives for the next two years, if not more, is fanciful thinking. Um, what you've got today is uh, Michel Barnier giving his side of the argument. Um, he is trying to uh, present the reasons, explain the reasons why Brussels feels the need to demand a payment from the UK as we uh, head towards the exit door. Um, This will be an absolutely dominant feature, I suspect, for the whole of the negotiations. We should should make some progress on this issue in the coming months after the general election and once uh, proper negotiations are underway. But I don't really think we will come to a final agreement in in pounds and pence or euros uh, right up until the end of the entire negotiation. That's certainly the way that Theresa May sees it and hopes it will play out. She said last week, uh, nothing is agreed until everything's agreed at the weekend. That suggests that she thinks it's one of those things that will be only wrapped up at the final moment. Um, But there's going to be a bitter battle over uh, what should be in the uh, what we call a bill, what they call uh, Britain simply settling on the on the obligations that it has already committed to. uh, And there will be much of that for uh, for months and months to come. Bruno, can I ask you, was it a genuine attempt by Michel Barnier to, uh, if you'd like, take the sting out of the topic or perhaps a bit of mischief-making? It's him being a very reasonable negotiator. I mean, obligations sound terribly sensible, don't they? I mean, the... I mean, really, the, legally speaking, there's not a lot the EU could, could do if, if Britain walked away um, from, from uh, most of these uh, commitments, um, but it's made um, via the EU budget, when it left, anyway. But if Britain wants access to the single market, which 
Britain does, Theresa May wants to get that, um, then um, the EU has got its hooks into um, Britain for paying some money and paying some money to plug the hole that Britain, which is a net contributor country, that is a country that pays much, much more into the EU budget than it gets out um, afterwards. They need to plug that hole. So they want to get some money out of Britain by hook or by crook to help plug that hole because they are terribly at odds with each other, very bitterly, over who should pay to fill the gap um, that Britain uh, will leave. Because it's not only the British, actually, who don't like paying lots of money um, into the budget. The Germans don't, the Dutch don't, the Danes don't, the Swedes don't, the Austrians don't um, uh, either. So a lot of this bill is basically a way of getting Britain to fill that embarrassing gap that no one else wants to step into the breach to fill. And the negotiators, especially uh, Mr Barnier, are very, very confident that because Britain wants access to the single market, it will pony up some of the cash. Sam, that's the point, isn't it? In the end of the day, as, as Bruno said, and I think you've alluded to, British businesses and many of the multinational need access to that single market and therefore they want a bit of certainty in this, don't they? And they're not really getting it at the moment. No, um, there's very little certainty. Um, uh, so in the next parliament, Britain is going to do pretty much the most complicated negotiation uh, of my lifetime. It's going to attempt to negotiate a free trade deal for some level of access to the single market. Even though this is an election campaign seeking to authorise the new government, almost certainly led by Theresa May, to negotiate that uh, massive, massive deal, the detail of that free trade agreement and what may or may not be included in it is not really currently under discussion in this general election campaign. If you listen to Angela Merkel last Thursday addressing the Bundestag, she said that uh, that Britons need to understand that they are not going to come out the other end of Brexit with the same rights, that's her word, that they have at the moment. Now, Europe is underpinned by a number of rights, right to free movement um, and so on. However, it is unclear on what areas Europe is going to be pulling down the shutters as, um, uh, in this free trade agreement compared to what we have at the moment. Are there some industries that, that, that are going to be particularly hit, like the legal industry, other services industries? Are exports going to be easy to do, or are the regulations that ensure that things that are made in Britain can be sold in the European Union just not going to be in place? All of these things, pretty much every aspect of every business's work, is potentially up for grabs. But that's just not on the table at the moment as a discussion topic right now because it's too complicated, too controversial, and I'm afraid to say no politician that I've heard has particularly got their head around it. This is a problem, isn't it, of perception, Bruno? We've seen over here uh, details of this this dinner that leaked and then Sam's been writing about with uh, Jean-Claude Juncker at number 10 recently about how Theresa May laid down the law. And then there was the, the afterwards this view that, well... A lot of people in Britain don't understand what's going on there. I read it as we're being hoodwinked by our own politicians. Is that how it seems over there, that really the reality is very different from what we're hearing over here? I think, I mean, the thing with the dinner is that look, this is a good bit of, you know, uh, this is a good bit of negotiating um, eyeball to eyeball. Uh, Theresa invites over the EU team and, and Mr Juncker to a Downing Street uh, dinner. They're a bit alarmed because all the stuff they've talked about with Ollie Robbins, the civil servant uh, heading the Brexit talks, um, she seems a bit more lukewarm on, to say the least. The next day they rope in Angela Merkel to put her oar in 
to the discussion. It's fair, you know, in one sense, it's a, it's a pretty standard sort of, are we going to see a lot more of this, uh, to be honest? If, if, if people think the dinner, the dinner briefings have been harsh, just wait till we really get down to this negotiation. I think what people need to understand <clears throat> is that, um, and the EU is being pretty tough on this, is that the EU isn't going into this negotiation with, with Britain's interests at heart. In fact, the, the EU's interests in making Brexit as unappealing and as costly and as, and as damaging and unpleasant as possible, that's opposed to uh, British interests. And I think, there's, uh, I think that they like to seize upon um, any indications um, that the Brexit side uh, well, the, the, the government has that Brexit might be easy. I think they like, they're quite keen to shoot that down. But at the same time, they're very pleased Theresa May is holding um, an election that will give her, they think, a, a larger majority because they think that will make her more able to make concessions on the bill, make concessions on acquired rights uh, for people, make concessions on access uh, to the single market because that delays... That delays the next general election until 2022, well after, uh, well after Brexit. So they're pleased about the election, but they are going to increasingly weigh in when they think the government, and uh, it, will, it will be on an agenda that suits them, when they think the government isn't really uh, telling the truth on Brexit. As it's seen from your end, Sam, in Westminster, you're in the heart of it and you cover this every day, almost all day and night. Um so uh, there was a lot of chatter from Tory sources um, uh, uh, about the Prime Minister's declaration uh, yesterday that uh, in some way Brussels was trying to interfere with the British election campaign, both with the leaking of the details of the dinner and also with suggestions that the Brexit bill might be even higher than previously thought. Um, I have a funny feeling that it was an intervention in an election campaign in one, in one sense. If, if anything, I suspect it was designed to give a little bit of push to what's going on in France at the moment, where you've got Macron standing against Marine Le Pen. I think it's pretty much to say that most of Europe would quite, most of the sort of other European capitals and, uh, uh, and most in Brussels would quite like uh, Macron to emerge victor in Sunday's second round of the French presidential elections. Uh, and I think uh, being seen to warn of the, or lean into stories about the dangers of walking out the door of the European Union, I think potentially helps Macron's case potentially uh, gives him a little bit of a, of, of a fillet. So I think if it was a, a designed to, uh, with any election campaign in mind, it was that one. Bruno, at the moment we've seen, and it has been a subject in the past, London as a financial centre has had the lion's share of the business in clearing euro-denominated type investments and instruments. And it was challenged once before, and we didn't have to be in the eurozone as long as we were EU members. Now that we're leaving the EU altogether, there seems to be a play again, and you've written about this from Brussels, where they're saying, actually, if you're not even in the European Union, this huge and very lucrative trade should be transferred back to the European Union. That's a real danger of happening, isn't it? Well, it's certainly a debate they want to have. The problem on their side um, is that the EU financial market is very fragmented despite having uh, a eurozone. There isn't a clear financial capital in Europe. And the migration of a lot of these trades and business to London means that, that risk is essentially outside the eurozone. So there are a lot of people who don't really want to rush 
to do that. There's a lot of people who, who would like uh, Brexit to settle, the dust to settle, see, see how much uh, European banking business comes back into uh, the Eurozone, see if the Eurozone can get its act together with banking union. The Eurozone doesn't even have banking union at the moment, which is uh, another problem. So I, I think these debates are going to begin um, but I think it's important to note that until the Eurozone takes um, some of these reforms I've been talking about for the last uh, five or, or, or six years, that there will be people in the ECB um, and in the private sector as well who will be uh, hesitant and reluctant to uh, move everything into a, a financial area that hasn't taken some basic uh, sort of basic steps to ensure it's not fragmented and to, and to ensure it's secure. Sam, we've heard in the past that, uh, if you like, there was a slight, I think you've talked about it, a slight change in emphasis in, in, in Westminster from a Conservative Prime Minister where perhaps she was seen as not quite so pro-business as some of her predecessors. Do you see now that within the Conservative ranks and the ministers, or if you like, the prospective ministers that you're talking to, a sense that business and the city is a very big part of the UK economy and therefore needs a bit more TLC than it's been getting to date. Well, I think there's no doubt that relations between business and number 10 are marginally less frosty than they were uh, back in September, October. Back then, uh, Theresa May gave her now infamous conference speech in which she talked about her dislike of citizens as no of nowhere, um, which uh, was taken badly by some in the city of London, not least the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, who, uh, uh, who took against that in particular. And there were bust-ups with the Treasury and a fear that essentially those at the top of Downing Street were too interventionist. One person inside government said that to me that they were socialist instincts because of their almost Ed Miliband-esque desire to interfere in certain markets. Now, some people might say uh, sorting out the energy industry, sorting out the water in, in, industry and other broken markets is the job of a government, even a conservative government, but that's a controversial view that, uh, that, that, that would divide the conservative party. Since then, there has been a bit of a reach-out exercise, both from Theresa herself, uh, who's had a number of dinners with, uh, with top politicians, uh, with top business people, and, and those in number 10. But here's the great big caveat. We're going into a general election where Theresa May is almost certain to be returned by uh, a majority, and that majority could be anything like a majority of 70 all the way up to a majority of 170 or maybe even a, more than 179, the number that Tony Blair got in 1997. But if I am being completely honest, I do not know the kind of Theresa May that is going to emerge the other end of this election campaign, not least because we do not know all that much about her. Is a centre ground figure going to emerge uh, who is um, comfortable being a bit more pro-business now she's been in the job for a while? Or are those, um, some might say, slightly more hardline, certainly more home office instincts going to kick in and be more visible uh, once, she, uh, once she's returned with her own manifesto, own cabinet, own MPs uh, and own mandate? I don't quite know the kind of Theresa we're going to see in six weeks' time. Uh, and it could be one that business likes or it might not be one that business likes so much. Bruno, on that point, perhaps in a way it is good, the timing of the election on the basis of the scenario that Sam was talking about. But looking ahead, do you feel that there is a sense, OK, we want them to pay for leaving the club because it would uh, encourage others if they got too good a deal, but an acceptance that perhaps we are in a slightly different position in that we do free trade with a lot of each other's partners and therefore it would be mutually destructive if they dig in too far. Yeah, I think it's about getting the balance right. 
So, I mean, if there's a, if there's a, there is a keen awareness that if there's a Brexit deal or a no deal that forces Britain into recession, that's going to have a very big impact um, on the European economies too. And the, the Eurozone, as, as recent history attests, is prone to, to shock. So they, they need to get a deal, and they need to get a deal where they get the balance right, where politically um, leaving the EU is, is seen as, as, as unpalatable or repugnant, but it, it, it doesn't damage the uh, economy, which is just beginning to show um, some, some green shoots, uh, some fragile green shoots of growth in the Eurozone. But the, 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 I think it's really important for people to remember, because we, 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 we in the sort of the sturm and drang of the referendum campaign last year seem to have forgotten, the EU isn't actually very good um, at taking decisions. It takes an awful long time sometimes to take actually rather straightforward decisions. Um, within the 27 now countries, there are very, very different interests at play, um, which make uh, taking a decision quite difficult, very, very difficult, again, as we've seen repeatedly um, over the last few years. And I've got a feeling, and I know a lot of people are worried about it on the EU side, that even if they get the phase of divorce out of the way and start talking about the future um, trading relationship, this negotiation could be very, very, very difficult to close because the EU 27 might find it very, very difficult to agree or reach a consensus uh, on what a Brexit deal um, should be. So I don't think uh, we should uh, be as complacent as some are on the EU side about how um, easy this negotiation is going to be only if uh, Theresa May sort of toes the line. They're, on their side, there are some problems too, and we will see those at play into next year. Difficult one, Sam, I know. But looking ahead, do you think there's enough flexibility in the Conservative Party or government thinking or what will be the government's thinking to achieve a deal, or do you see a very real danger of Britain walking away from the negotiating table? I think there is a significant chance of there being no deal. I put it at the moment at about 40% chance of there being uh, no deal. Um, because even if um, Theresa May does get a kind of super majority full of um, Mayite bots who march behind her through the division lobbies at every opportunity, um, the kinds of compromises that she might have to make, possibly, in order to get the best possible deal, uh, rather than facing some very real sacrifices for different British industries, will be tricky. Tricky for the bill, tricky on migration and tricky on um, uh, on uh, just on the um, need to have some elements of our cooperation with Europe overseen by the European Court of Justice. Those are, you know, the three red lines that she has are probably going to come under quite some pressure. So she may decide, particularly if she has particularly Eurosceptic newspapers, uh, of, of which she is greatly fond, campaigning against a deal, she might feel that siren voice impossible to resist, as she hasn't um, as, uh, you know, she hasn't particularly resisted them very hard in the past. So, so let's see. It depends whether um, those around her have a particularly strong desire for a deal. I have my own doubts on, uh, 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 on, on, on whether some people are willing to put in the time for, for the kind of deal that they want or whether or not they're going to make domestic politics ensuring up that um, their, their priority. So I think there's a lot to play for, but nothing is certain. Well, that's about it for now. Thank you both very much. Lots to think about there. And uh, just a quick reminder, watch out for financial results. It'll be coming up from Compass Group. That's the support services uh, company and Talk Talk Telecoms. And on the economics front, we'll have in-depth coverage of the Bank of England's quarterly bulletin report, as well as the latest UK trade figures. You'll find all that and the other news and analysis online, on your phones or tablets and in the paper. 
And if you'd like to become a subscriber, you can sign up at thetimes.co.uk and then you'll be able to uh, access our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins. If you want to hear from us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. Do, of course, feel free to post your comments. We'd love to hear from you. And my thanks to Bruno Waterfield in Brussels and Sam Coates in Westminster. Well worth following on Twitter if you aren't already, because they're going to be out and about. Please join us again next time. And thanks for listening.